Hi, this is Gary Washburn, pastor of Grace Tabernacle. Thank you for tuning to our podcast today. Our hope is that this message inspires you and builds your faith. For more information about Grace Tabernacle and our ministries, please go to gracetab.org and like us on Facebook. Now, may the message feed your soul. Thank you, living God. Thank you, living God. I want you, I want you to reach out and take the hand of somebody right next to you. Just cross the aisle. Get if, if there's a big gap, don't worry about closing it, but just reach out and take a hand. There are times when it's just important to be one. And Lord, your word says that we are the body of Christ and that each one of us are members of that body. We got in this place some hands and some feet. We got some ears and some eyes. We got some mouths, some hearts. We've got all different parts of the body, Lord. And Father, we're all needed. Everyone is needed. The hand can't say the foot because I'm not a foot. Then you don't need me. And the eye can't say the ear because I'm not an ear. Then I don't need you. We all have a part to play, Lord, to be built up as a habitation of your spirit, is what your word says, so that you not only dwell in each one of us individually to express your life through each one of us individually, but that together, when we come together, that there's a power of your presence corporately. And Lord, in this moment, we want to just celebrate your presence in us. We thank you for the building, Lord. It keeps the rain off of us, gives us some air conditioning and the heat, some warmth and the cold. But that's all it does. It's just a big umbrella, Lord. That's all it is. We don't, we don't confuse it with the body of Christ. It's just a place that we gather. Lord, we could just as well gather in the woods. We could just as well gather in a gymnasium. It doesn't matter the building. It matters who's in it. And it's not the building that draws your spirit or your presence, Lord. It's your people. Wherever two or more are gathered in my name, your word says, there I am in the midst of you. So, Lord, we thank you that your presence is here right now. Father, may we always be conscious of the difference. And may we just grow deeper and deeper and deeper in our understanding and our revelation and our conception of the reality that Christ in us is the hope of glory. Lord, that it's not about all the religion, it's not about all the rituals, it's not all the externalities, it's about this vital union, this organic union, branch to vine, of your life in us and our life found in you. Lord, I just pray that today as we're holding hands, the person on my left and my right, you know what battles they're going through, you know what pain they may be in, the person in front of me or behind me, Lord, you know what particular struggle they have, you know how the adversary might be uh, coming against them, you know what challenges they may be having in a broken world, Lord, but together there's power in our prayer. And so in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Lord, we come into agreement together. Lord, that the flesh would be defeated and the spirit would be revealed. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that sickness would be removed and health and wholeness and healing would come. Father, we pray that depression and mental anguish and grief would be swallowed up by joy and by peace and by hope. 
Father, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that uh, a lack of clarity or a lack of focus would be replaced by clear direction and a voice saying, this is the way walk ye therein. Father, we pray for lost loved ones, for children, for husbands, for spouses, for extended family members who are not yet walking with you. We pray in the name of Jesus that they would be drawn to the things of the Spirit. And we lay claim to your word that says the Spirit of God which is on you and the word which is in your mouth will not depart from you nor from your mouth nor from the mouth of your children the mouth of your children's children even now and forevermore lord we lay claim to it we don't know how you're going to do it some of them are pretty far away but we know that they're not far away from you they're right smack dab where you know they are so father we just pray in the name of jesus for a return of the lost to the to the fold and in the name of jesus lord i pray that this body of believers would become a great light they become torch bearers of your life in the villages and lord that it would be about being available to let christ live through them in a way they've never known before and i pray this all in the mighty mighty name of jesus christ amen give him praise now amen hallelujah we bless you oh god magnify your holy and worthy name Now, turn around and hug somebody. Say, Jesus is Lord, and I see Jesus in you. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. 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 Somebody let some of these folk out of their pew, you know that? <laughs> so um, I want to do just a, a really quick commercial, but the good news is it's not, I'm not selling you anything. I'm just telling you about free stuff, okay? So, you know, uh, we've been teaching, if you're a first-time visitor, I've been teaching for the past four weeks, this will be the fourth week, on a paradigm shift of Christianity. I, I never hesitate to reiterate it because it takes a long time for people to hear it, but once they hear it, they get it. It changes your life. Paradigm A, Christianity is Jesus died for me, his part's done, now my calling is to live for him. Problem with that is the only way you can live for Christ is out of your flesh. Because Jesus never made the proposition that he would die for you if you would live for him. The proposition he made is paradigm two. I died for you so that I could qualify you, so that I could come and live inside of you, so that I could live my life through you as you learned how to yield and surrender yourself to me. So the truth is that every Christian on this planet right now is operating out of one of those two paradigms and a, a significant number of people are operating, trying to operate out of both of them. They're going back and forth between them. But until you make the shift, the full shift to what the scripture clearly portrays as the intention of God, you'll never really know the, the whole second half of grace. The first half of grace is Jesus did something for you on the cross that you could never have done for yourself. And in so doing, he forgave you, he cleansed you, and he reconciled you to the Father. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 5, verse 10. I didn't intend to go there, but just go there real quick. I'm just following the, the Spirit for a minute. Romans 5, verse 10 says something that is so transformative if you, if you hear it. 
Look at it there with me real quick. Uh, Romans 5, verse 10. Let me get there with you. It says, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, let me just say that in a way that maybe will shock you for a minute. I've said it here before, I know, but there's some that haven't heard it. What that scripture tells me is that Jesus did not die on the cross to save me. I'll say it again. Jesus did not die on the cross to save me. He died on the cross to reconcile me to the Father so that I could then be saved, not by his death, but by his life in me. You see, death is what paid the price for the separation between God and I, resulting in me being qualified for him to come and take up residence on the inside of me and then begin to save me by the power of his life in me. I was reconciled to God by his death so I could be saved by his life. Not me trying to imitate the example of his life 2,000 years ago, which I can't do and will never be able to do except to fake it, but by him taking up residence on the inside of me and then by the power of his life begin to transform and begin to uh, heal and begin to deliver and begin to set free and begin to express the very quality of life that he's called us to. That's why he says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I'm the life. That's why Paul said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's why he said, I'm crucified with Christ. Galatians 2, verse 20, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Amen. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The reason why I keep reiterating this is because it's so critical to understand that we are not saved by the death of Jesus. We were reconciled to God for, by the death of Jesus. And by the way, that's good news. Reconciled is past tense. It's done. It's finished. That's what Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. The reconciliation is done. The price is paid. The removal of sin, the handwriting of ordinances, which was against us, which was contrary to us, he took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross in his own body. Why? To reconcile you, a sinful man, to a holy God. To pay the price you couldn't pay. To do for you what you could not do for yourself. That's the whole first half of grace. But he did for you what you can't do for yourself so that he could then be able to do in you what you cannot do. You cannot do. You cannot do by yourself. Amen. You can't do it for him. And yet the church is constantly telling you your problem is you've got to try harder. Man up. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Try harder to act like Jesus. Look what he did for you. Now you need to act like him for him. But that's why Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 26 says, I'm going to take the old stony heart out of you. I'm going to give you a new heart. Then I'm going to give you a new spirit. Then I'm going to place my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and obey them. That's why it says in Philippians chapter 2 verse 13, for it is God who is at work within you. It is God who is at work within you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. I'm not making this stuff up. 
This is the proposition of the gospel. And the whole second half of grace is that Jesus did for you what you couldn't do to qualify you so that he could then do in you what you can't do. It's called grace. That's why the scripture says, having begun in the spirit, accepting Christ and his grace for what you could not have done for yourself on the cross, having begun in the spirit, are you now going to try to be made perfect by the flesh? Do you think you can pull this off without him? What do you think you got? Just a new start? That's what most people think. They think that the cross is about Jesus just saying, okay, you were making F's. I'm going to eradicate all your F's. I'm going to give you incompletes. I'm going to let you start over, work harder, do better, make better grades. And that's basically their understanding of Christianity. We see you have not fundamentally changed before or after. The you, that you, has not finally changed. What has changed is you've been made spiritually alive and you've got the dynamic and animating power of Christ's life to come inside of you to be able to bring life to and express his life through you. And that's what's changed, is that something's been added to you, which is Christ himself. So understanding that primary difference is something that you can... I'm going to tell you, if you will allow the Lord to begin to instruct you and teach you about those things, life can change so dramatically in your walk with Christ. It'll make such a difference. Because you see, when, when we're trying to live our life for Jesus, we make up our mind what we think that looks like, and then we go and do it. And, and the problem with that is that the Bible says that my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts and higher than the heavens are above the earth are my ways and your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. What are the chances that you're going to try and figure this out and get it carried off without him? And the fact is, when he says my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts and higher than the heavens are above the earth and my, are my ways than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts, he's saying you don't do things the way I do them and you don't think like I think. So the only chance that my life is going to get expressed through you is if you suspend the way you think and you ask the mind of Christ to be in you and you stop doing things the way you think they're supposed to be done and you start asking the Lord, what do you want to do? And if he does things differently than you do and thinks things differently than you think, that that means he's going to ask you to be available for him to do stuff that you wouldn't have come up with. And what you think is important, he may not think is important at all. And what you think is insignificant and too tiny to do may be life-changing and live through eternity if you'll, if you'll obey. The perfect example of this is Jesus himself. Jesus himself said, the things that I do are not the things that I choose to do. They're the things I see the Father doing. The works that I do are not my own. They're the works of the Father through me. The words that I speak, Jesus said, the words I speak are not my own. They're the words the Father gives me. Yeah. Amen. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Amen. What was he saying? He was saying, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, that he made himself of no reputation. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself and became obedient, obedient, obedient unto death, even death on a cross, and being found in fashion as a man. He made himself of no reputation. What is a reputation? A reputation is what you get for doing stuff. But he made himself of no reputation. Why? Because he said, I don't do anything. Jesus said this. It's in your Bible. Amen. 
Apart from my Father, I can do nothing. Jesus said that. Why? Because Jesus was showing us what a man is supposed to be. A man is not supposed to be a, a, a solo agent coming up with his own plans for his life, deciding what he's going to do, involving God in it in a little bit, maybe even you know, praying and saying, Lord, bless what I'm going to do for you. Uh, here's the course I've set for myself, and here are the choices I'm going to make, and here's how I think you would best be served by my life and my skill, my abilities, my brilliance. My, my wealth, my education. This is how I think you could best put me to use. So here's what I'm going to do for you. Jesus didn't do any of that. What Jesus did is only what he saw the Father doing, only what he heard the Father saying, and he did nothing. Jesus did nothing apart from the Father. Why? Because that's the relationship we're supposed to have to Christ. Amen. That we become the vessel of his life. That our humanity, by the way, if you think, oh, what a terrible life that sounds like. I'm going to tell you, if you wrote the entire manuscript of the life you had planned for yourself, and you handed it to God and said, here's, here's my plan for my life, he would look at that and say, that's what you're settling for? That? Man, I wish you could see the one I had for you. It's a whole lot better. I didn't even start preaching yet. I'm just kind of rambling. <laughs> I never know. Honestly, I never know. I, I probably told this story before. I was asked one time to give a sermon title, and I said, okay, the sermon title is The Mystery Revealed. <laughs> and I said, and when I get there, I'll reveal the mystery. So, so here, what's the point of all this? The point of all this is that there is a, there is a fundamental difference between me thinking that, again, I restate it, that the, the proposition is, here's the truth, there's the way, go live the life, versus him saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life I'm calling you to. All I'm asking you to do is come into concert with me and allow me to show you what I can do through you that you could never do for me. By the way, I believe that was God's intention all the way from the beginning because there were two trees in the garden, not just one. One was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Bad and good, right and wrong. But there was another tree there called the tree of life, which if a man would eat, he would live forever. Well, there's only one source of eternal life, that's God himself. How the tree of life and God are connected in terms of how that God, I don't know, but here's what I know, is man chose information over transformation. Amen. He chose knowledge over life. And by the way, most of us spend our entire life in bondage to knowledge. That's oh, a good day. It's a bad day. It was a good steak. It was a bad steak. Oh, what they're doing is right. What they're doing is wrong. We're constantly evaluating everything in our world. I got a good hair day. I got a bad hair day. Everything. I always have bad hair days, so I just go with it. But here's the thing is that what, what would be the difference if, if the question was, how can I s release life versus how can I bring death? How can I become, come in concert with the life of Christ? Well, see, the intention was always that the life of the Lord would be in us. We were created, spirit, soul, and body, to be containers of his life. Because the Bible says in John chapter 4, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well, when she's saying, do you worship up on this mountain or do you worship down in Jerusalem? Jesus said, the time is coming and now is that those who worship the Lord must worship him in spirit and in truth because God is spirit. Amen. 
And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, when God created man, he said, let us make man in his image, in our image, and after our likeness. And, and so man was created spirit, soul, body. He was given a spirit because he was created spiritually in the image of God. Why? Because God intended his spirit to come and live inside of man. But when man chose knowledge, he, his spirit died. His human spirit died. And he was pushed out of the garden. He wasn't dead physically, emotionally, intellectually, any of these ways. But he was pushed out of the garden. When he was pushed out of the garden, he was separated from man and God. And until Christ came and died on the cross and shed his blood and took all the sin that we had committed that had disqualified us to be containers of his life and bore all of that to the cross and removed it forever as a barrier between us and God and made us holy and he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Until he did that, then God could not have come in and regenerated our human spirit. I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit and then I'm going to place my spirit within you. Ezekiel 36, 26. And then cause you to walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances. Until he did that, we weren't qualified. But once he did that, it was to qualify us for what his original intention always was, which is that his life Amen. would be the main, main dynamic of our existence. And we would learn how to cooperate with the power of his life within us. You know, the Bible talks about, for example, that from him and to him and through him are all things. To him be all glory. Well, we got the from him are all things. We, most of us have figured that out. And we figured out that to him are all things. We figured that out. But we thought the through was on us. You see, it's not only from him and to him are all things, but through him are all things. It's through the power of his life that this Christian life is lived. That's why he ends by saying to him be the glory. Why? Because the glory goes to the one who does the stuff. Amen? If I'm doing the stuff, I get the glory, right? But if it's from him and it's to him and it's through him that the Christian life is lived and that everything takes place, then he gets all the glory. Okay. I want you to turn to just one verse of Scripture. I'm, I'm just trying to stay online here a little bit. I want you to turn to one verse of Scripture. I want to give you just a beautiful biblical example of this. And how this works in everyday life. By the way, I want to say this. I started by saying I was going to make a commercial. Online, every Sunday night, I do a live broadcast on FaceTime, Facebook. It doesn't cost you a penny. It's also immediately uploaded to YouTube. Uh, Pastor Mike Atkins. Doesn't cost you a penny. Uh, on there are close to, I don't know, 160 or some odd messages on this. This is the only thing I talk about, Okay. So you don't have to stop with four messages and go, wow, I wish I could know more about that. By the way, I also have a podcast every Monday that is basically the same teachings I do in the, in the vehicle on Sunday night, and it's uh, uploaded to podcasts. It's all free. All of the books that I, that I write, I don't charge you for them. If you, I ask for a donation. If you have 10 cents, and that's all you can give, give 10 cents. If you want to give $1,000, give $1,000. It doesn't matter. Only reason why I ask for a donation for the materials is because they cost me to make them. But I'm not here to make money. Amen. I'm here to make, uh, to make this message available to everybody I can. I wrote an entire book called The Life of Christ in the Heart of Man. It's a basic treatise on everything I'm teaching. All the scriptures are there, all the things. Are. This message right now is being, is being recorded. You can go back. You can watch it again. As much as I can get this information out, I want to get it out because it's so life-changing when you understand it. But I want you to look with me real quickly. Look at Jeremiah. Book of Jeremiah, chapter 1. I just, I'm going to do this as 
quickly but as efficiently as I can. I want you to notice some principles from this. Look in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am but a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth. For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set this day, set, this day I've set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, pull down, destroy, throw down, to build, and to plant. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. I want you to notice a couple things. First of all, God's original intent was that we would become vessels of his purpose. Before you were born, I knew you. And before you were fashioned, I ordained you. You know, the Bible says that there are works good works which the lord prepared in advance for us to walk in you're not tabla rasa as the psychologists tell you you're not a blank slate god had a plan and purpose for your life and he puts you here at this time he established the bible says the boundaries of your habitation he had a plan for you you know purpose is always in tied to the intention of a creator as I've often said to you, whenever somebody creates something, they create it because they have an intention for its use. If you want to know what the purpose of the thing is, you go back to the intention of who created it. And yet we have a tendency to think that we were created with a purpose that we're going to discover on our own with a little help from the Lord to bless the stuff that we decide to do. When in fact, the Bible says that he already had a plan for you before you were born, and he had already ordained you to do some stuff before you were even fashioned in your mother's womb. Amen. Well, not only do I believe that my purpose is tied to the intention of the Lord, but I also believe that my joy, my peace, my fulfillment, my sense of, of uh, having been here for the purpose I was, been he I was created for is all tied to knowing that. And I believe most of the angst and most of the struggle and most of the depression and most of the pain that people experience in their life is because they're trying to, f they're trying to find their destiny rather than to discover it. They're trying to make their way rather than to let him become their way. So God's original intent was that we would become vessels of his purpose, not something we determine, something we discover. And here is Jeremiah, and the Lord is saying to him, and the Lord is saying to you, by the way, this isn't just for one guy. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I sanctified you, and I ordained you. The only difference is, for Jeremiah, the specific was, to be a prophet to the nations. I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me. But what I do know is there, there is something in that for you. 
And, and so if you just start with this idea, again, if my goal is Jesus died for me, I'm going to live for him, all of that is really on me. I've got to figure out what to do. I've got to read this and figure out what's the best stuff I could do for God. But if my goal is to recognize he died for me so he could live through me, now my entire focus, my entire focus of how I approach every day is about getting in relationship with him and talking to him about what his plans are for this day and how he wants me to be available to him as the instrumentality of my humanity to carry the life and breath of his spirit into where I have been placed at this time in this uh, season of my life. And so it becomes a cooperative relationship. The second thing I see in here is that when we become aware of the planned purpose, our immediate reaction is to focus on our own inability because we misunderstand. We think that the purpose to which he's called us is something we're supposed to pull off for him. So notice how he responded. Okay, I've ordained you a prophet to the nations. Congratulations. Go do that for me. What's your reaction? Same thing Jeremiah said. Lord, I'm, I can't speak. I'm just a young person. I can't do this. You see, that's the response you have when the Lord calls you to do something and you think he's asking you to do it for him rather than he's telling you, this is what I want to do through you. Amen. Now, maybe it's not a prophet to the nations. Maybe it's I'm sitting at a restaurant and there's a woman sitting by herself alone and the Holy Spirit starts stirring me and he starts saying, I want you to go over to her and I want you to just tell her, I felt like the Lord put you on my heart and he just wants to communicate to you that he loves you and ask if there's anything I pray for you about. Not you came up with this great religious idea to act like Jesus, but, the, but you're listening and the Holy Spirit is teaching you. And here's the thing, instead of saying, I can't do that, Lord, I'm embarrassed. Lord, I don't, wouldn't know what to say. Oh, she's gonna think bad things about me. That's all you thinking that he's asking you to do it. What he's asking you is get your bones over there. I wanna, I wanna talk to this woman. And you happen to be the part of my body which is in this restaurant at this moment. And I'm the head of the body. And I'm wanting to speak to her and you're my mouth. Go. Don't even figure out what you're going to say when you get there. Just go and say, you know, I don't even know. This may sound crazy to you, but I'm just here. And all of a sudden, she's crying. You're praying. You get in the car and say, man... I didn't even eat breakfast. I forgot to. <laughs> that was so good. Amen. It's a life of miracles. But you see, we, our immediate response is to become aware of our own ability. Here's what he said. I cannot blank for I am. Well, every one of you have some of that. You've got a I cannot blank what you've asked me to do because I am blank. I'm too old. I'm not educated. I don't have the background. I don't know enough scripture. I cannot, I'm too busy. Every one of us have a I cannot and a because. When we live in paradigm one, because we think that we're the ones that's supposed to do it. But let me ask you a question. What is it that God cannot and what's the because? Do you believe he's a better lawyer, a better doctor, a better cab driver, a better accountant? Do you believe that he's a better shuffleboard player? <laughs> I believe he's better at everything than I am. 
And I don't believe there's anything that he would look at and say, well, I cannot because, unless it would be sin. <laughs> so what is it that he would ask me to be available for him to do through me that he cannot and he cannot because? The answer is nothing. And when you get over into paradigm number two, you start saying, Lord, you can do anything through me. Not I can go out and pick what I want you to do through me and get you to do it. But anything you call me to, you can do through me. It always interests me. I, I, I'm just on, on, I'm throwing things as the Spirit leads me to, okay? It always interests me that Jesus, on one occasion, the Bible says that he healed everyone who was sick, cast out every spirit. On another occasion, he was at the pool of Bethesda, which I've been, and he walked through a crowd of people and went to one man. And he said, do you want to be healed? And the man started telling him why all the technologies he'd tried and all of the attempts he'd made wouldn't work. And then he said, get up and walk. And he got up and walked. But it didn't touch any of the other people that were there. Why? Here's why. I can tell you exactly why. Because he only did what he saw the Father doing. He only said what he heard the Father saying. And apart from the Father, he did nothing. In other words, Jesus didn't decide this or that. He just responded to what the Father was asking him to do. So if I am going to let the Lord work through me, I don't decide what I'm going to do for him. I think I'm going to pray for every single person here because that would be a great thing for me to do for God. Instead, what I do is I say, Lord, what is it that you're doing? And maybe while nobody's watching, there's somebody at the back of the room as I'm preaching, the Holy Spirit starts putting on my heart. And what I find is effectiveness and the assignment go together. Anointing and assignment go together. And by the way, what would happen if all of us were on assignment? What, ha what would happen if all of us were in a relationship with the Lord? We were listening to what he said. We were making ourselves a bit. Do you think maybe some stuff would start happening? But we're so busy doing what we are assigning ourselves to, which he is under no obligation to fulfill that we're not listening to what he is assigning us to because we're evaluating that by its bigness or smallness. If we would be willing and able and present ourselves to do the smallest assignment or the biggest assignment and we wouldn't weigh one over the other, the only thing we would weigh is whether he's in it or not. And we'd make ourselves available and all of us, the body of Christ, was willing to do that. What kind of a difference would that make in the villages just out of this crew? So here's the thing. Our purpose comes from his intent. When we get aware of what he's asking of us, our first thought is what we can't do. But the revelation of our inability is not supposed to be the end. That's supposed to be the beginning. The best thing you can figure out is that you can't do it. The longer you think you've got to try harder and, and dig in deeper, the, the longer you're prolonging your agony. The quicker you figure out I can't do it and just agree with him, Here's what the Lord said. Don't say I'm but a youth. Notice what he says. For you shall go. He doesn't say, I think you can. He says, you shall go to all whom I send you. Whatever I speak, you shall speak. And don't be afraid of their faces because I'm going to be with you to deliver you, says the Lord. This isn't about you. It's about me. 
what, what is, the part that you play is making yourself available for me to do what I want to do. And what you wish you could do, I'm going to tell you, you will do, but it's not going to be you doing it. It's going to be me doing it through you. By the way, he takes that a little further. He put forth his hand and touched my mouth and said, I have put my words in your mouth. I set you this day over nations, kingdoms to root out, pull down, destroy, throw down, build and plant. What is all that? That is all the necessary stuff he needed to do to fulfill what he was particularly ordained to do, which was to be a prophet to the nations. But that section right there, verse 10, would be different for what he's calling you to do. If he's calling you just to be a mom for a few years and that's your primary focus, then he will equip you with everything you need for him to do that through you. You don't have to be the mom for him. You can be the mom, let him be the mom through you because he's a better mom than you are. He's a better dad than you are. He's a better insurance salesman than you. He's a better everything than you are. Amen. And he's not interested in your trying to look like him. Amen. He's in here to do it. So there's a list there that he'll give you. Now, going just a little further, look what he says in verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Olive, almond tree. Then he said to me, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. Now, this is Old Testament where the spirit of God was going to be with Jeremiah. New Testament, he's in you. Now that he's in you, look what he says. I am ready to perform my word. Not, I'm ready to tell you what I want you to do for me so that you can then go and do it. I'm actually ready to perform my word through you. I'm going to put my word in your mouth, and then the word that I put in your mouth, I'm ready to perform it. Do you see that when the Lord says that it is God who is at work within you both to will and to do according to his good purpose. If all the Lord did was save you, forgive you, cleanse you, qualify you, come and live inside of you, give you all of his word that tells you what to do and leave it up to you to do it, your situation would not fundamentally have changed. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 7, to do right, I know, but the power to perform it, I do not find. I know what I'm supposed to do, but the power to do it, I don't find. Why? Because it's not in you to do it. That's why Paul says again, Romans chapter 7, verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I know what's to do right, I can't do it. Then he answers his own question, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, praise God. Through Jesus Christ, my Lord. For the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is what sets me free. Amen. It's not me doing it for him. It's him doing it through me. It's not me finding the power to perform it. It's me welcoming the power to perform it, which is him in me and letting him do through me what I cannot do for him. And that's essentially in the Old Testament exactly what the Lord is saying. I'm going to put my word in you. By the way, what is the word? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word is more than just something written. The word is Christ himself. That's why it says in Revelation that on his thigh is written, the word of God. He was the word made flesh, the word manifest, and that's the word that's been put in me. We've been born again of imperishable seed by the word of God, by him in us, Amen. the life of Christ in us. 
That's why Paul again says in Galatians 4, verse 19, Oh, my little children, I travail in birth again until Christ is formed in you. This is the gospel. This has always been the gospel. This isn't new. This has always been the message. The whole second half of grace, most of the church never got it. The wonderful thing is, though, when you get it, you start to realize, then what is my part here, Lord? And the answer is availability and surrender. Humility and availability. That's your role. That's why the Bible says God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Humility is a magnet to grace. Grace is unmerited, undeserved favor. Grace is power you don't possess, wisdom you don't have, capacity you can't produce. All of that constitutes grace. When I humble myself before the Lord and say, Lord, I can't, and you never said I could, but you can, and you always said you would, what you call me to, you've promised to do. What I call myself to do, I'm on my own. So I want to, first of all, get into an attitude of humility, saying, what was your plan? What are those works that you wanted me to walk in so that you could do that work through me? How do I come into cooperation with you and allow you to do it? And then... How can I do the most important thing I can do after you've worked, which is give you glory because I know it all came from you and not from me. That's, that's the Christian life right there. That's why it says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, it says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Set your affections on things above and not on the things on the earth because you are dead and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you'll appear with him in glory. And most of us think that means, okay, I'm seated with Christ. Uh, when he comes back and in glory, I'll get to show up with him. And that's certainly true. But here's what I believe it means. It means I am now hidden, my life is now hidden with Christ in God. Like, like that branch and vine, I've been grafted into Christ and my life is now hidden with Christ's life. And when Christ, who is my life, when his, the life of the vine, when he appears, I get to appear with him in glory. I'm the branch. I didn't have anything to do with producing the fruit. I'm bearing it. But when it shows up, I get to be a part of the experience of watching him work. Amen. And when you, when you start to experience that, when it happens, you won't be sitting there thinking, oh, man, what a great job I did. You'll be going, oh, my Lord, I cannot believe Jesus did that, and I got to be a part of it. Yes. How did that happen? Yeah. I just said, hello. She's crying, and I'm on her knees ready to receive Jesus. <laughs> I didn't know, uh, hallelujah. That's all you can do. Because from him, to him, through him, all things to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I have to say one last thing to be obedient. The Bible says in Timothy 3, in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of their pleasure, more than lovers of God, hateful, boastful, prideful, disobedient to parents. So it tells you a whole list of stuff there. But it ends at the whole end of that list in the last days, perilous times will come. It ends with this statement, which seems completely contradictory to everything he said before. The end of the statement is having the form of, of religion, but denying the power. In other words, you think he's talking just about the world. Men are hateful and boastful and prideful and arrogant and disobedient to parents and rebellious. 
You know, they're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And you're kind of going, you preach on, that's the world, preach on, Jesus. <laughs> and then he gets to the last verse, he says, having a form of religion, but denying the power. Well, what is the power? And what's the difference between form and transform? Form means the appearance of being religious, devout, pious. But denying the power, what is the power? In him is hidden all of the wisdom and all of the power of God. When we have a form of religion where a bunch of good people get together to do good stuff and, uh, and you know, do it like we're the Rotary Club and cease becoming branches to the vine of his life, containers of the power of his life, yielded to the purpose and the power of his life. We get into a form of religion. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, which means it's your logical response when you know all this. Your logical response is to do what? Present your body as a living sacrifice unto God. And that you no longer be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove what is that perfect and acceptable will of God. See, the true calling on us is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to him. To who? Him. In us. Here I am. I don't want to be thinking the way the world thinks, and I don't want to be thinking the way I think. I want my mind to be transformed and become a container of the mind of Christ. I want to be yielded to you. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to learn to be able to hear you when you whisper. I want to stop all of my big ideas of what I think it means to be a Christian. And I want to get down to be willing to do the smallest act of obedience. And with each small act of obedience, you'll trust me with greater acts and greater acts. And in the end, it'll be you that'll get all the glory for every day of my life. And if I get any glory, the glory will simply be this. He was yielded. He was yielded to Christ. Not he did great stuff for Christ. He was yielded and Christ was able to work through him. I want you to close your eye with me for just a moment. I want you to stand up and close your eyes for just a moment. Father, in these days, we don't want to be a form of religion that denies the power. Lord, we don't want to be a human organization that operates in fleshly wisdom, willfulness, passion, and purpose. Lord, the world has seen all that it ever wants to see of what men can do for God. What it's desperately yearning to see is what God can do through men. And Lord, you've given us, you've entrusted us with this information for a reason at this time in our life. We might say, oh, if I'd only known this 30 years ago. The truth is you probably wouldn't have done it 30 years ago. You would have been too dependent, independent, too self-sufficient, too religious, whatever it might be. But forget yesterday, it's gone. Forgetting what's behind and pressing on towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This one thing I do. So forget yesterday. Don't think that you're too old. Don't think that you're too feeble. Don't think that you're too tired. Don't think that you're too poor. Don't think that you're too uneducated. Don't think that it has anything to do about you at all. Just ask yourself this question. What is it that God cannot do? 
and why is it that he can't do it? And when you get firmly convinced that the answer to that question is nothing, then ask yourself, okay, then if he asks me to make myself available for him to do something through me, what is it that he can't do? And the answer is the same. So, Father, I just pray that somehow in these four weeks that we've been together, that we've communicated, that somehow your spirit will have more deeply impressed us, both with the reality of our inability, but with the wondrous good hope that you never expected us to. Father, I pray that we as a people might become students of how to let Christ live through us and that we would quit walking back and forth between these two paradigms and become channels of your life, conduits, vessels of your spirit, treasure chests that the power is of you and not of us. Jesus' mighty, mighty, mighty name. Amen. 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 Would you just raise maybe one hand? That'll get both Presbyterians and the Pentecostals. Not pushing too hard. Just raise one hand. Close your eyes. If you've heard the Lord, just tell him, I, I hear you, Lord. Don't, I don't have it all figured out. I don't understand all the implications, but I've heard you, Lord. My purpose is bound up in your intentions. Let me stop trying to get you to go where I'm going. Start trying to figure how to yield, listen, and make myself available to your plans in the years and the days I have left. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, hug at least uh, seven people and say, ain't God good. <laughs> amen. And blessings. Amen. Well done. <laughs>